Man, it's so good to see y'all this morning. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. You're always welcome. Come anything we got going on. Hope you come next week, Epic Sunday. It's going to be great. Love to have you there. We're, uh, we're in a series right now uh, entitled Grace, and uh, it's about grace. Uh, grace is one of those things, even if you're not a part of the church or a part of the Christian community, you kind of have an understanding of grace. Grace impacts your life in some way. All of us kind of know what grace is, but we don't necessarily understand it the way that we should or see it the way we can, maybe the way God wants us to. So we're kind of in this series. It's entitled Grace, God's Response to Sin. And understanding that what grace is fundamentally is God responding to the sin of our lives. The, the first two weeks of the series, uh, kind of more along the teaching, doctrinal aspects. We saw uh, two weeks ago, uh, you know, the, the horribleness of our sin, uh, as bad as it gets. And, and that from Romans, that God sees us as, uh, as being godless, so we're in our sinfulness. He sees us as being wicked in our sin against other people. Uh, last week, we looked at the book of Titus. Paul wrote Romans from the first message came from, Titus where the second message came from, and we saw the power of grace over sin. So these next two weeks, we're going to be kind of looking at more of the illustrations of grace, some biblical examples. I think we'll be in Matthew next week. This week, we're going to look at Paul. We're going to look at Paul uh, in Acts 22, verse 1 from 11, through 11. Uh, we're going to see that the only way it could happen was by grace. The only way that it was possible for Paul to be saved was not by Paul, but by grace. And so here's what the passage says. Brethren and fathers, this is Paul speaking, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city, that is Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the laws of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. As also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify, from them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there in Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. So as we come to this uh, passage today, uh, here's kind of what I want you to get from the message, and it's this. If someone like Paul, someone like Paul could experience grace, why can't you, why can't I? I mean, if Paul can experience grace, why can't we experience grace? And so as we come <coughs> and, and, and we look at this Paul talking about his journey, his testimony, his, his experience of salvation. That experience is found in three different places. Acts 9, Acts 22, and here in, I mean, here in Acts 22 and in Acts 26. As we look at Paul, let me just kind of remind us, if, you're, if you haven't come in this series before, this will be the first time. But let me just kind of remind us of the definition of grace that we're kind of using. And, it, and this is it. Grace is the gift of God as expressed in his uh, actions of extending to us mercy loving kindness, and salvation to all people instead of condemnation and judgment. 
<coughs> Excuse me. So instead of getting condemnation and judgment, what God, which we deserve, God gives us what we don't deserve, his gift, love, mercy, salvation. Now, the story that we have here in um, Acts chapter 22 occurs in about 58 A.D. Paul has been a Christian for about 25, 26 years, right in that period of time. Uh, and to kind of understand what's going on, you've got to understand a little bit of the background that goes into chapter 21. Paul has spent the better part of 10 years traveling uh, in Asia Minor, in Europe, on about three different journeys that he had taken. He spent that time going to places and sharing the gospel with them, places that had not yet heard the gospel. Uh, while he was primarily ministering to the Gentiles, he would always start off in a Jewish synagogue. But the Jews, some would respond, but most of them would reject. And so Paul's primary ministry was to Gentile pagans, who so they might become believers. Now, Christianity at this time, the time that this event occurs in Acts 28, was kind of divided among Jewish believers and, and Gentile believers. Now, there were places where Jews and Gentiles both resided and they worshipped together. That's true, but they kind of taken a, a different track. And Christianity was becoming more and more Gentile. More and more people who came to faith were of a Gentile pagan background. There were not a lot of what we would call second or even third, certainly not third generation Christians. There weren't people who were, there weren't a lot of people who simply born into Christian homes. There were some, but not many. So if you were a Jewish follower of Christ, you were brought up most likely in a Jewish culture, Jewish background. And when Paul went to Jerusalem, the church there was made up mostly, if not exclusively, of Jewish believers. Now, a Jewish Christian then, kind of like a Jewish Christian today, still retained their Jewish heritage. Uh, today, people that are Jews, for, uh, who are followers of Christ, call themselves fulfilled Jews or Messianic Jews. They, they have experienced the fullness of what was promised to the Jewish people. Now, in Paul's day, they'd still go to the temple. They, they, they wouldn't offer the sacrifices to the temple, per se, but they would go to the temple. They would participate in the Jewish festivals, you know, like uh, Passover, uh, Pentecost. They would do all those things. They would keep the dietary laws. Uh, they would still follow the law, not, not the Jewish religious system we saw back in September in that, in that series, but the, the law of Moses, you know, they follow the Ten Commandments. They still consider themselves Jewish. Now, when Paul came in chapter 21 to Jerusalem, he was bringing an offering with him. He was going to take some money that he collected from the Gentile churches to come back and give it to the Jewish church there at Jerusalem to kind of help them out. And when he came, he was warmly received by the leaders. He was warmly received um, by James, uh, the brother of Jesus. But they said, here's the issue. There are some people who think, some people who are fathers of Christ from, from the Jewish background, like all of us are, who think that you have abandoned in Judaism completely. That you're teaching that Jewish believers don't have to be circumcised. That you're teaching we don't have to follow the ceremonial law. That we don't have to follow the food law. We don't have to do any of that stuff. So here's what you need to do. You need to go to the temple. There, there's four guys. They've been taking a vow of purity. And, and, and they need to go and you know, kind of pay some money to the temple. Go with them. And, and people will see that you're still connected to our historic Jewish roots. And so Paul said, sure, I'll go. You know, it had no, no impact, no bearing on his Christian commitment at all. But while he was at the temple, there were some Jews from Asia, not Jewish Christians, but Jews. Now understand, Asia is not what you and I might think of Asia today. It's not China and India. It's Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey. And Turkey's been in the news a lot the past couple weeks. It's a sad area. And wherever Paul went and shared the gospel, he had a lot of pushback from Jews. Some of the Jews would come to Christ, most wouldn't. And they give a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback. These were Jews who were enemies of Paul. 
And they saw Paul at the temple, and they began to spread a lie, spread a rumor, that Paul had taken a Gentile named Trophimus and taken him into the temple. Now, one thing you could not do as a Jew, you could not bring Gentiles into the temple. Gentiles were despised, they were unclean, they were pagans, they were uncircumcised. To bring them into the temple was, was in essence, asking to be killed. That's what you were asking for. So they, they spread this lie about Paul, knowing what would happen. And so a mob mentality grew and grabbed Paul and brought him out into the streets. They began beating him, you know, trying to put him to death. Now, the Roman you know, commander of a thousand, uh, that guy, heard what was going on in the rice. He went out and he kind of got Paul and he, and, he, and he rescued Paul from the guys. He began to talk to Paul. Paul talked to him in Greek. And Paul says to him, let me speak to these people. I'm one of them. So we kind of pick up with Paul going to speak to the people. Now, he's going to speak to them in Hebrew. Actually, it's Aramaic, a form of Hebrew, but Luke will write it in Greek because the book of Luke, Acts and, uh, was written in Greek. So here's what Paul begins to say to this mob of Jewish people who were out to kill him. They're not Jewish Christians, just Jewish people. He says this, hear my defense, which I offer now. Hear my defense. The word hear means to listen to me, not simply to listen to what I would say, but act upon it. it, it where I come from, we, we, we have this phrase like, hear me out. You know, if you're going to talk to someone, before you make a decision, you just need to hear me out. And, and then once you hear everything, you can kind of act upon it. What he wants them to hear is what he calls his defense. Now, the word in the Greek that Luke uses is the word apologia. We get our word apology from there, obviously. Now, to us, an apology is to say you're sorry, but that's not what that word means really in the Greek. It means to give an account of something. There is a discipline within Christianity that we call apologetics. Apologetics oftentimes is defined as a defense or an accounting of our faith. Now, what Paul was doing was not defending himself, but Paul was giving a witness or a testimony. He was giving an account of what had happened in his life. And in giving an account of what happened in his life, Paul was saying, listen, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus. Tarsus was an important city. He said, I came from there. His family was probably educated. His family was probably well off. He said, we came to this place, to Jerusalem, and I studied under this guy named Gamaliel. Now, to everybody there, Gamaliel was this revered Jewish figure. He is mentioned in another place in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, some of the apostles are before the Jewish leadership, the, the high council, the Sanhedrin, the people that were partly responsible, at least from the Jewish standpoint, largely responsible for putting Jesus to death. Now, when they put Jesus to death and the Jewish group that were responsible for his death, not all of the Jewish leadership was there, but those who were antagonistic towards Christ. Some people of the Jewish ruling council wouldn't have been there. Nicodemus, who was a believer, uh, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a believer. There were probably others, and probably Gamaliel, because Gamaliel in chapter 5 of Acts says, hey, let's not do anything from these guys. They may be from God, in which case you don't want to sin against God. If they're not from God, if they're on their own, then don't worry. God will take care of them. Gamaliel, what made him important was he was the grandson of a man named Hillel. Hillel was one of the brilliant Jewish scribes. He was one of those guys who the Jews revered. And in the day of Christ, oftentimes when the Jews would come ask him questions, they were followers of Hillel, Gamaliel's grandfather. Now, that may not be important to you, but here's the thing. To that crowd... The minute Paul said that I was under Gamaliel, lights went off. That means they knew he was an unbelievably gifted and talented guy. Paul was, in the Jewish world, like a superstar. He, he said, you can go ask the high council, you can go ask the elders, 
You can ask them what kind of guy I was. Now, we know of Paul is this guy who wrote a lot of part of the New Testament, who's had a tremendous impact, not only on Christianity, but on the world. But Paul was always a brilliant guy. I mean, the Jews took Paul and entrusted him. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. I mean, he was going to go there and get those folks. Paul, Paul, a lot of the people who were out there wanting to stone Paul grew up with Paul. They may have studied with Paul. They knew this guy. He was this brilliant, on-the-rise Jewish superstar of a guy. Repeat to you this way. Anybody uh, yesterday watched watch the Astros beat the evil Yankees? Anybody see that? You know, that was kind of cool, wasn't it? Unless you're a Yankee fan, you're probably miserable today. And, and, and in the Astros, sorry, Joe's, <laughs> Joe, Joe's a Yankees fan, so I kind of dinked him. That's okay. I got Brian in the early service because he's a Tigers fan, and I'm the only one who has his team still going on. But here's the thing. In that game, you see these guys who were young, who were superstars for both teams. They played brilliantly. They, they, they had their whole future ahead of them. We, we see guys like that all the time in our world in different areas, in, in music, in sports, uh, you know, maybe in acting. That's what Paul was. He was this young superstar of a guy. He said, that's me. He was on his way to Damascus. And here's what he was doing. This is what he said. I persecuted this way to the death, putting both uh, men and women into prison. That's what he was doing. Why was he going to Damascus? Think about this. He was going to take the people of the way, put them to death. The, the, the way is how they describe Christianity. They didn't use the term Christian back then. Uh, they would say disciple, follower of Jesus, follower of the way. He says, I was putting those guys to death. He was, he was going to Damascus to do that. Okay? He was going to go get them. See, back then, uh, the Jews could, they had some freedom in the Rome. The Roman government controlled everything. But you know, Judaism in Jerusalem in that area had a little bit of freedom. They had some, the ability to oversee some of their own rules and regulations. And so what they could do is... If there were Jews who violated the Jewish religion, they could punish them. There were occasions they could even put them to death. So Paul was going to Damascus. He was going to take them, put them in chains, and drag them to Jerusalem. Because he couldn't put them to death in in Damascus. But he could put them to death in Jerusalem. That's what he was going to do. In Acts chapter 9, Luke says that Paul was just breathing out violence towards the the Christian Jews. Uh, in, In chapter 26, Paul says that whenever... Uh, that we voted to put people to death. I always voted to kill the Christians. That, that's Paul. Do you understand how? The, he, he said, I put people to death. And that, that's, that's, Here's the thing. If you were a Christian in the early church, there's no one you feared more than Paul. He was a bad guy. I mean, Paul, who wrote these great letters that move us, and people read the letters, Martin Luther reads Romans and Galatians, and feels like he's been born again, at least to the beginning of the Reformation. All this great stuff, all our doctrine that comes from Paul. The beginning, Paul was just a bad dude. He was a really, really bad guy. So what happened? I mean, how these things change? What changes has to do with the power of the resurrection. See, Christianity, and I've said this before, rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul... <clears throat> did not believe in a resurrected Jesus. Um, when, when Jesus died and was crucified, he was buried, we know that he rose back to life. I, I have a whole series that I preached. I preached an eight-week series four years ago about all the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I preached a shorter series. I preached a four-week series on that one time. I preached about the resurrection all the time. And, and, and the basic thing is this. The Jews told a lie. Oh, there's an empty tomb, right? The tomb... Tomb is gone. I mean, Jesus is gone. His body's not there. 
The Jews told a lie that said the disciples stole the body of Christ. Now, we know that didn't happen, but that's what they believed. So here was Paul when he was a young, young man, you know, maybe not quite 30, maybe a little over 30. Jesus was around. He was put to death. We have no idea how much Paul knew about Jesus, how much Paul saw Jesus. Jesus was put to death. He was crucified. Paul would have said, yeah, he should have been. He was guilty of blasphemy. Jesus deserved to die. And then the tomb's empty. And the people that were in charge of Paul, the people that Paul kind of worked for, if you could say, the ones that had him going around persecuting Christians, they came up with this lie. They said the disciples stole the body of Jesus. So Paul believed that the body of Jesus had been stolen. And that's important. So what could possibly change Paul's mind about the resurrection of Christ? It's not going to be meeting Peter. It's not going to be meeting James. It's not going to be meeting any of those guys. There's only one way Paul could have his mind changed about Jesus, and that's to encounter the resurrected Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, we are told this. Paul writes about the gospel. He says the gospel is this. He says that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And as evidence, they buried him. Then he was raised back to life on the third day according to the scriptures. As evidence, people saw him. Who saw him? Peter saw him. The 12 saw him. There were 500 people at one time who saw him. Some are still alive. And then there were two more people who saw him that weren't believers, though. James, the brother of Jesus, saw him. James wasn't a believer in Jesus. Go to the Gospels. James wasn't a follower of Christ. The only reason we know James was a believer is because of the book of Acts tells us he was, and there's a letter that bears his name. What happened? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But what happened, the only thing we can surmise is he encountered the resurrected Jesus. Paul tells us that. Sometime between the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ, he appeared to change. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know how. He did it. But there was one other guy, Paul says, that saw the resurrected Christ. He said it was me, one untimely born. I'm an apostle, don't deserve to be an apostle, he said. I'm the least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church, tried to kill them all. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. The encounter of Jesus is what is shared in Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. Paul said, I am on the way to Damascus. I am going to kill Christians. That is what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, about the noontime, there was a bright light. Others saw the light, but they didn't see it or understand it the way Paul did. There was a voice from heaven. Others heard a noise. They didn't hear the voice. And this is what the voice said. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Now, he used the term Saul, Saul. That was his original name. He changed it to Paul. Peter's original name was Simon. Changed to Peter, and that was common back then. And so, here's what he said. Who are you, Lord? Now, the word Lord is important. Because in the New Testament, when you use the word Lord, you're connecting it to God, to deity. Paul, remember, is an devout Jew. He's a brilliant Jew at this point. When Paul heard the voice on the road, he didn't know who it was. He assumes it's God. Back in Genesis chapter 3, there's the burning bush that appears to know Moses. The bush is on fire. It doesn't burn up. Moses comes to it. He hears the voice of the Lord saying, Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. He does that. He has this connection to God, this experience. And then he says, Lord, who shall I say, or God, who shall I say sent me? What is your name? And God says his name. Yahweh is Yahweh. Uh, You know, he's what he says. That's who I am. Say, I am has sent you. Now, he has given Moses the name. Because back then, knowing the name of God mattered. There was a connection that way. 
And so when we translate the phrase, I am, Yahweh, most of the time when it's put into the Hebrew in the English, it's translated Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord. The Lord is God. So Paul says, who are you, Lord? He's recognizing that what has struck him is God. Jesus says this, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, all this time, Paul thought he was persecuting the followers of Christ. And Jesus says, nope, you're persecuting me. And so he appears in front of Paul. And so you have to understand, Paul recognizes that the appearance, the light, the voice from heaven is God. When he says, Lord, who are you? Jesus says, it's me, the guy you have been persecuting. So now Paul is encountering Jesus as the resurrected Lord. What does Paul do? Because he's saying, no, I don't buy that. Because I'm persecuting you because you're dead. And the disciples stole your body. Nope. He knows now that didn't want to happen. So this is what Paul says. What shall I do, Lord? Understand this. If you don't, if you don't understand, if you, if you just read it too fast, you miss this. He said, who are you, Lord? It's Jesus. And then he says, what shall I do, Lord? He is now recognizing that the resurrected Christ is indeed Lord. It's important. This is the transformation, the conversion of Paul. Paul would write in Romans, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Later on he said, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what is Paul doing? He is saying, Jesus, I recognize you are the Lord. So here it is. This guy who was persecuting and killing Christians now comes to know that Jesus is the Lord of all. What brought this about? Did Paul do something? Did Paul earn the right to do this? Did Paul somehow, was he studying secretly on the side about Jesus and came to this conclusion? No. Paul had nothing to do with this. In fact, here's the thing. Paul's interest in Jesus up to this point was in persecuting his followers. What changed that? Only one thing, grace. He was persecuting the followers of Christ. What brought about this change? Nothing Paul did. Nothing Paul deserved. It was purely a matter of grace. Grace changed the life of Paul. As I said earlier, if Paul can experience grace, why can't we? I mean, Paul had written in Romans, <coughs> as he was giving this defense to the, to the Jewish people or talking, he'd already written the book of Romans. He said, we are, we are godless, we are wicked. That was Paul, godless and wicked. We saw last week in Titus, he had written Titus by the time he gives this account in Acts 22, but he would not too long after. In Titus, he says, what's happened? We've been saved by grace. What's occurred? We've been regenerated. We've been, we've been born again. Regeneration, born again. Do we deserve it? No. Do we have any part of it? No. We've been born again. And in being born again, what happened? We have been justified. We have been declared right by God. He says, you're right by everything. That's what happened to Paul. He had been a wicked and rebellious, godless man. And then the Lord got a hold of him. And through nothing that Paul discerned, earned, he had been born again. And he had been declared right, justified by God. All by grace. Here's what happens. Grace reveals how the Lord sees us. That's what it does. Paul, Paul says, I was out trying to kill followers of the way. 
I was a persecutor of Christians. He was a sinful man. We, <coughs> we hear people say, I hear people say sometimes that when God saves us, when it comes to our sins, he forgives us and he forgets. Well, he's half right. He forgives us. He doesn't forget us. Nowhere in the New Testament does it ever say God forgets our sins. In fact, God remembers our sins. He doesn't have short-term memory loss. I mean, God's not ignorant. He knows what we've done. That's the amazing thing. He knows our sin forgives us anyways. He makes us born again, so he washes our sin away, the sin that we've committed. We didn't do anything. God did it. He declares us right. When he looks at us, he doesn't see us as sinful anymore, but he knows we sin. This is the amazing thing. Paul didn't forget his sin. The sin of Paul was the motivating factor in his life. It was the fact that he was such a wretched sinner. He says in 1 Timothy, the worst sinner possible. That fact and the fact that God saved him from that life drove Paul, motivated this brilliant man to become the apostle that he was. You know, as a, as a Jew, Paul would have hated Gentiles. And back in my September series, I pointed that out. Jews couldn't stand Gentiles. So what did Paul become? The apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, that was Paul. He understood he was a sinner. We should all understand our sin. I recognize the sin in my life. I was saved young. I know that. But I still sin after. And I know this. If not for the grace of God, I would have been an unbelievable sinner. Because I have sins. I have done things that I still can't believe I've done as a follower of Christ. And this is what I know. Sin motivates us. When we have been forgiven by the grace of God, sin motivates us to a different life. Grace, grace allows us to become what we could never be. Paul became this amazing apostle. He could never be that without grace. He could never be that if Christ hadn't changed his life. On his own, Paul couldn't make that change. It totally took what God was doing in his life. And so Paul experienced the grace of God, the forgiveness and cleansing of his sin. And Paul became this man who went out to help people become followers of Christ. Along the way, he wrote numerous letters, 13 of which we have in our possession in the New Testament, that fundamentally has changed the nature, not only of the Christian faith, but of the world. And that was because of grace, not Paul. So here's the thing, grace changes lives. Grace changes lives. It changed Paul's life. It changed all my life. It changes all our lives. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We can't get that. And that's one of the things we have to come and realize. That in our world, in our condition, in our sin, there's nothing we can do to fix things. But it's God's grace that does it. Oftentimes, I pray for people to experience grace. I pray, today, I pray for someone I know who's lost. I prayed, God, help them experience your grace for the very first time. Because they, they're still caught in their sin. They haven't experienced grace. So God, help them experience grace. And then sometimes I prayed. I prayed for a person who's a follower of Christ. I, I, I prayed, Lord, help them to get the full measure of the grace. They already have all of the grace they're going to have. Grace isn't something we get bits and pieces of. I don't, I, I don't ever want to pick on other denominations or, or churches. and I don't want to insult you if you come from a Catholic background, but in Catholicism, grace is dispensed out over the sacraments. So when you're born and you're baptized, you get some grace. Your first communion, you get some grace. Every time you go to Mass, you take the elements of communion, you get some grace. When you do the rosary, you get some grace. Grace is dispensed out. That's not what happens. We get all of grace, but we don't always live the fullness of that grace. 
So oftentimes I find myself praying, God, help me, help someone live with the fullness of grace. Some of you as followers of Christ, when was the last time you prayed, God, help me live with the fullness of grace? When was the last time that you looked and said, Lord, I'm not living the way I should, but you have saved me, you have given me grace, so help me live with the full measure of grace so that I can experience that every day. When was the last time you prayed for someone who's not a follower of Jesus to experience for the first time the grace of God? They're not going to save themselves. They're not going to come up with it on their own. Lord, help them go to church so they can figure you out. That's not going to happen. They're not going to go to church and figure it all out on their own. That's just going to happen. They're not going to come and hear a message and say, okay, I've heard the message. Now I know what I need to do. I'm going to take care of it. No, it requires grace. When have you prayed for someone you love who doesn't know Jesus to receive grace? When have you prayed that you could live in obedience under grace? Grace changes our lives. And it changes the lives of the people you know. Because we have sinned and rebelled against God. There's no better example than Paul. None of you will ever sin like Paul. None of you will ever be someone who wants to set out to kill mass numbers of people. None of you will ever be as influential as Paul. You won't ever write 13 books that people will collect. And they will realize forever changes the nature of our faith. But you can do what Paul did. You can experience grace. Paul says, by grace are you saved through faith. And some of you today need that grace. You're not going to go and get it. You're not going to go after it and grasp it. God's going to give it to you when he extends to you faith. And today you have the opportunity to experience the grace of God for the very first time. Through faith that he provides. And you may need to trust Christ with your life. You may need to take your life and give it to God. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. There'll be some men and women down here. You may say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want that grace that God is offering. And by the faith he provides, you can have it. Some of you need to come and say, pray. There's someone I love who needs to experience grace for the very first time. Would you pray with me so that they might experience grace? Would you, would you pray for me as someone that's a member of my family who is saved that's not living in grace? You, maybe you need to pray that way. Maybe what you need to do is look at your life and say, this is where I was as a sinner. God saved me. Shouldn't by that grace I be motivated to go and impact and change the lives of people around me? I don't know what you need to do today. I don't know how you need to leave this place, except I know this. All of us can leave having experienced grace. Because there's no other way. The only way we can ever go through this life as a follower of Christ is by grace. So, Father, thank you for the grace we have. Thank you for the grace you have provided. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have provided that grace. So, Father, help those who have never experienced it today experience it for the very first time. The saving grace that changes a life. And let them respond in faith to that grace and give themselves to you. That those who have loved ones they need to pray for come and pray that they experience grace. Father, help all of us who are your followers in obedience live by grace. Grace, Father, is something we don't deserve. It's what you give to us. Let us praise you and rejoice. And let us today respond to that grace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be at the front to get you.